Last week, we began a new series on one word, prayers. Tim Galley introduced the series with the word bacon. <laughs> I mean, please. Yes, the word was definitely please. And I'm sorry for the confusion, but if you happen to miss the sermon, um, Tim happened to mention his fondness for bacon and the fact that the staff seems to have a lot of bacon in the lunchroom. He joked that we were launching a new bacon ministry and that you could go to a website, grace.org bacon, for more information. <laughs> well, apparently, there have been nearly 300 hits to the website <laughs> since last week and still climbing. Personally, I'm very impressed. You really do listen. So if you're one of those people who didn't know Tim was kidding, I don't want you to feel bad because like Tim, I too am from New Jersey and most people don't know when I'm joking around either, including my own family. So please, just sit back, pass the bacon, and <laughs> let me introduce our second word for the series. Waffles. <laughs> I had no intention to do this, but it was taken out of my hands and already a new website page has been created. <laughs> but just so you know, I really am just kidding. And uh, last week's... <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Oh, so seriously. <laughs> Last week's word really was please. <laughs> but the word for today, I feel like I'm on Sesame Street now. But <laughs> the word for today. The word is help, and I could use some right now. Martin Luther said that when it came to prayer, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. And all God's people said? Amen. Now, while I tend to agree with him on this, please keep in mind that this was a man that while he was getting his hair cut, his barber asked him, to teach him how to pray like he prayed. And so, and I don't even know why he was getting a haircut. The paintings I saw didn't show that he needed it very much, but he went home to his monastery cell and he, because he, he said, I'll get back to you on that. He goes home to his monastery cell and he writes a letter to his barber telling him how he prays. And the letter happened to be 40 pages long. <laughs> So I'm going to stick with his first uh, thing about few of the words, the better the prayer, because he probably was basing that on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Well, I personally find that very freeing because I'm really not a man of many words. 
Uh, I, I'm not especially in prayer. I'm not really a very wordy person. There are times I feel like I'm doing well to manage to utter just a few words, and at times, especially when it can boil down to just one single word, a word like help. Help is the SOS of the soul. Sometimes help is a loud cry of desperation, and other times it is but a whimper. But either way, that single word is loaded with longing, hope, and expectation. It means you know you're not alone in this thing we call life. It's one of those prayers that we probably pray many times every day without even realizing it. Oh God, please help me find someone to eat lunch with at school today. Help me pass my road test today. Help me get into a good college. Help me pass my finals. Help me find a good job. Help the lab work to come back negative. Help me catch my connecting flight. Help me not to blow my diet. Help me break this nasty habit. Help. We pray for it nearly in every situation, but we tend to use it most during times of real trouble. My wife Debbie and I had our second grandson in late May, and uh, we're so proud to have Caleb come into the world, but he did spend the first 19 days of his life in, in the NICU. He was 12 days late, and he ran into trouble, and his lungs were infected, and, and uh, he's, he lives all the way out in Portland, Oregon, and hopefully, uh, gladly, we, were, we got to be there for when they removed uh, the incubator tube from him, and we finally got to see his, his face. But I got to tell you, we, we prayed help all the time. God, just help this little baby to be able to breathe on his own. And it was a great day when he finally did go home breathing on his own on Father's Day. And so we pray in times of need, help. We pray when we feel threatened and afraid because everything we thought we could depend on is falling apart all around us. It's for when things feel out of control from natural disasters like massive earthquakes and hurricanes to man-made disasters wrought by the political unrest of nations and the continual use of violence to change the geopolitical landscape around the world. I know it seems as if I could be referring to events on the news as recent as this past week, but it is also in such a world that Psalm 46 was written over 3,000 years ago. Now, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you've probably come across a very beautiful verse found in Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. You may have seen this verse written on plaques or cards. It is indeed a powerful and comforting and inviting verse. But it becomes even more so when you understand the context surrounding it, a context full of tumult and violence. But before we begin, I want to tell you about an interesting word that appears three times. It appears all through the Psalms, but it appears three times in Psalm 46, bringing a natural division to the three sections in this psalm. The word is selah. 
Selah is a musical interlude for the purpose of reflection, a weighty pause. The truth is that nobody knows for certain what that word means exactly, but most Old Testament, Testament scholars agree that it is most likely intended to serve as some kind of musical interlude for the purpose of reflecting on what you just read before moving on to the next section. It doesn't have to be a long reflection, but the intention is that it would be a time to pause in order to ponder a weighty kind of pause. I tell you this now because when we come to these natural breakpoints in the psalm, we're going to, after I say some, some things about that section, we're going to stop for a minute or two, not even a full two minutes, but this, I want you to know that this is not a time to get up and go to the bathroom or to check your phone for messages. This really is a time for you to just settle into a time of quiet reflection with God and what you're hearing from God. So let's begin. Psalm 46, 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. Now, let's get real. If you ever find yourself in the path of a monster storm like Katrina or Sandy and you're being ordered to evacuate and find shelter, please do not be foolish enough to stay in harm's way arguing with the authorities that God is the only refuge you need. There is always danger in over-spiritualizing these things so that people don't use their common sense. If you have health problems, seek the best medical treatment you can find. If you're out of work, keep networking and sending your resume to as many places as possible. Don't sit back thinking that God will just miraculously heal you if you don't take Medicine, your medicine or take good care of yourself and don't think he will land the perfect job at your feet without you doing your part. But don't under-spiritualize things either. Having done everything you can do on your own, don't think it's all up to you either. In this culture of self-help and self-sufficiency, don't be afraid to ask God for help. Faith is not scheming but it is also believing that God is working behind the scenes on your behalf. You do your part and let God do his part. Because in the intimacy of prayer, though everything around you may look grim, God himself becomes your refuge, your place of safety. He is your ever-present, meaning your true blue, time-tested, well-proven help in times of trouble. And that word trouble right there means when you are in a tight spot. It's when you feel the stress of events piling on, pressure building, time running out, nowhere to turn. At CR, we would refer to this as hitting bottom or coming to the end of your rope. But what we also come to learn is that it is, the very same, it is the very place where God can be found. We cry help 
and come to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. This is why in another place the psalmist also wrote, speaking of God, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. That's the way God's help often presents itself. In a spiritual sense, he brings us from this tight spot into a spacious place. We may feel like we're drowning, like we're sinking, and then he lifts us up out of the muck and mire of our circumstances. We feel constricted, like we can't breathe, like the oxygen. Are you hearing feedback, by the way? Because I am, if there's anything you can do about that. Like, we may feel like the oxygen has been taken out of the room, and then we feel the wind of his spirit blow fresh again, and we begin to walk with renewed energy and vigor. Are you in a tight spot right now? God wants to bring you into a spacious place with him where there's room for your soul to breathe, room for your soul to rest, it's a place where you can once again feel the solid ground beneath your feet. You can look up and pray. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's the only reason we will not fear when it seems the world is crashing down all around us. And so let's go to our first Selah moment. Please take this time for personal reflection and ask God for help. If you yourself are not in a tight spot, would you take this time to pray for someone you know who is? Reflect on the passage we read earlier by personalizing it like this. Pray, God is my refuge and strength, my ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. And then pray, oh God, please help and fill in the blank.
the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Psalm 46, verses 4 to 6. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. In the first part of this psalm, water was depicted as frightening, chaotic, dangerous. But this next section, it begins with a much different depiction of water. It's reminiscent of paradise, the Garden of Eden. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. Unlike the chaos of raging waters, this river represents the very life of God. It is like the living water that Jesus promised in John 4. Those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This passage also reminds us of God's desire to be among us and the peace, he pres the peace his presence brings us. It is much like how after God created the world, he enjoyed his creation by walking in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Well, instead of a garden, this time it's the references to a city. But what matters most is that God dwells there. If you turn on the news, anyone can see for themselves that nations are indeed in an uproar and kingdoms are indeed tottering and coming apart at the seams. And yet the city of God, or the kingdom of God, if you will, shall not be moved. She will not fall. Why? Because God is within her. The text says that God will help her at break of day. Who will he help? All the inhabitants of the city. All those who live in his kingdom, meaning all those who live under the rule and reign of God. And why at break of day? Because with God, today is all that matters. Today is the day of salvation. His mercies are new every morning. Get in on the life of God early in your life, right at the dawn of your life. When I was a kid, I, I missed so much school because of the dysfunction and chaos of my family life. I missed more school than I actually went to. I didn't do homework. I didn't know how to study. I never even read a book. And then my friends brought me to their church, and I began to hear the gospel. And the Bible was actually the first book I ever read. And I can tell you, I had no intentions of going to college. And, 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 but God came. And one night in a Friday night coffee house at church in the, in the 70s, Jesus came to me because when, when, I, when I reached out to him and I said that simple prayer, God, if you're really there, I really could use some help. I experienced his profound love and care and concern 
and God became real and personal, and that father and friend that we've been hearing about, and he entered into my life, and he changed me, and he gave me a purpose in life, and he called me into the ministry, something I never would have expected, and so I, I, I had to go to Bible college and prepare, and there was just this one problem. I had gotten thrown out of high school, and, 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 and so... I had, I had to go and get a GED and, and then go to Bible college. But I can tell you that I did very poorly when I first started because, like I said, I didn't even know how to study. And so then the academic dean calls me in. And I thought, for sure, I'm getting the boot again. And instead, I'm sitting across, from his, across the desk from him, and the academic dean turns to me and he says, Jim, you seem to be struggling. I said, you think? <laughs> and then he said the words I never expected. How can I help? And I was like, what? <laughs> it was the first time an adult had ever said those words to me in my life up to that point. I had been arrested, I had been expelled, I had been thrown out, I had been told this and told that, but no one had ever said, how can I help? And he helped, and I improved. I went on to get two graduate degrees and very good grades. I just thought you'd want to know because I'm working here. <laughs> helped me at the dawn of my life. And whether it's the dawn of your life or your mature years, the sunset of your life, he'll come at the very cry of help. That's all you got to do. Because when you pray help, it, to pray help is to trust there is a helper. When you pray for help, you come to know the helper who already knows you and your situation. When you pray for help, you come to know the helper who already knows you and your situation. Verse 7 is an interesting verse. Verse 7 and 11, actually. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us, speaks of his power and presence. The God of Jacob is our fortress, speaks of his personal and protective nature. Eugene Peterson sheds some valuable insight here. He says, there is a surprising reversal in the way these names are connected with our expectations. We expect the military metaphor to be associated with defense, refuge. We expect the personal metaphor to be connected with intimacy, with us. But the terms are deliberately rearranged so that we get intimacy with the warrior God and defense from the family friend. A powerful God, Lord of hosts, befriends, is with us. A personal God, God of Jacob, protects, is our refuge. The shifting of terms prevents stereotyped expectations of just what God will be and do. Cliché is the great enemy of prayer. And it is, isn't it? Hey, when you show up and pray to God, 
Just be yourself and just be honest. You can be honest with God. You don't have to be eloquent. Just talk from your heart. Talk like a friend. Dallas Willard was another Christian thinker who did anything but speak in cliche or stereotype language. In fact, I heard him say something once that most people in the class had a very hard time swallowing. This is what he said. When you live in God's kingdom, the world becomes a perfectly safe place to be. Now, I'm sure you can imagine the kind of pushback he received. Safe? How do you explain all the evil and suffering in the world? Safe? Are you serious? But Dallas wouldn't back down. He didn't even appear to be rattled. You see, Dallas could have actually used this psalm to make his point if he wanted. In the midst of natural disaster, political upheaval, and military violence, there is a river who make glad, the, the, whose streams make glad the city of God. There's an almighty God that is with us, a personal God who promises to defend us. What a beautiful picture of life and peace in God's kingdom in the midst of tumult in the kingdoms of this world. So what if Dallas, if what Dallas said is true, will bad things still happen to Christians? Of course. Dallas never said it wouldn't. One of the things that Dallas said, though, in response to all the pushback was this. He said, when you're tempted to get anxious and think that God isn't good, ask yourself this. Has God done well by me? Has God done well by me? I had to take that and process that myself. And let me just share with you how I did and what I understood Dallas to mean and how I processed it. You see, whenever I choose to dwell on a single event or a particular time of pain or disappointment in my life, my outlook becomes very narrow and temporal and it becomes easier for me to give serious consideration to the lies of the tempter. And if I do that, if I give in to the deception of the tempter, listen to this, please. If I give in to the lies of the tempter, I am essentially making him my spiritual guide and, and counselor. That's a sobering thought. But remember that it was Scripture that Satan used to tempt the Son of God himself. But when I invite the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, to be my spiritual guide and counselor, and I prayerfully survey the whole of my life by asking, has God done well by me? My answer is always a resounding yes, he has. Does that mean that every single thing has worked out my way or has been perfect? No. But has God been faithful? Can I trust him? Has, has he really been good to me? Yes. A resounding yes. So let's move into our second Selah moment. 
Please take this time for your own personal reflection. Consider once again the original statement made by Dallas Willard. When you live in God's kingdom, the world becomes a perfectly safe place to be. Begin by inviting the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, to be your spiritual guide and counselor. Then prayerfully survey the whole of your life and ask yourself in his presence, has God done well by me? of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I hope you'll take a lot more time than you've been given this morning with that question, and that you'll really sit with God on that. The last section of Psalm 46 says, Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And here it is. Be still and know that I am God. <laughs> what a section to put it in, right? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now, it all seemed pretty credible until now. I mean, where do you see war ceasing anywhere in the world today? If anything, it seems like we're always bracing ourselves for the next bad thing, the next possible attack. But the reason is, is because this is a time that has not come yet. A day for which God's people always pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the day is coming when God will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. But until then, he simply invites us 
in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this tumult and violence and threat, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. I am in charge. I am sovereign. I am supreme. I am the Lord of lords and King of kings. I am God, our refuge and strength, the ever-present help when we're in trouble, when we're in a tight spot, the most high God who dwells among his people, who helps us at the break of day. God, the Lord Almighty, who is with us, the God of Jacob, who is our fortress. God, who will be exalted among the nations and indeed all the earth. Let's have our final seal a moment. And I'd like you to this time to just look at the screen and ponder what this means for you. the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to invite you now into a time of guided prayer as we close our time together. I will say the part in the white lettering, and you respond with the word help in the yellow. Father, yours is the strength that we long for, you alone the refuge that we seek in times of trouble. May we turn to you when our world is shaken, when it seems that all around us there is chaos and strife, when our fears threaten to engulf us. May we dwell in the holy place, the city of God, and know that you are enough, you are within, you will help us at break of day. May we live in the confidence and assurance that you hear our prayer, that you care for us, that regardless of what may happen, you are greater. 
May we seek to know you more intimately, love you more intensely, and follow you more closely. May we be still and know that you are God. Help us as we pray together the prayer you taught your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.